Men the... Ahem. Fine. Queer the Battle Stations. We have a new patron. Two, in fact, but only one has decided to reveal they are part of the conspiracy against us. <gasps> Watch out! Sex vampires to port. Oh, that Patrick Stewart. I'll get you one of these days. Yes, Alexios has been revealed as leader of the Transylvanian head of the mysterious Blue Mondays, a vital part of the development of... No, I'm not letting that joke through. Oh, jeez, it's one of those things from Moontrap. Quick, get Bruce Campbell on it. Fine, better send Walter Koenig along as well. And the guy from The Nanny. He was in the sequel, don't you know? I choose not to know. Unlike the existence of Alexios, who we know everything about. Birthdays? Yes, plural. Address, lovers, favourite brand of cat food, and the three aardvarks. Didn't realise you could use aardvarks for that. Oh, there goes Space Sheriff Sean Connery. Our loss is their gain. Anyway, Alexios, now we know about your role in the conspiracy against us, it's time for you to do some more concerted research into us. What makes us tick? Just how many your mother jokes do we really make? And are we really hiding a Fnord in every bonus episode? Which is to say there are quite a lot of bonus episodes to... enjoy? So, get cracking. We know your Freemason overlords demand it. Meanwhile, we've got to get rid of this infestation of critters on board our podcast. Shall we invoke the Jason X protocol? Always. I'll go defrost a Cronenberg. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. Hello and welcome to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Here in Auckland, New Zealand, I'm Josh Addison, and in Zhuhai, China, we have Associate Professor of Philosophy and History's Greatest Monster, in the Godzilla sense, Dr. M. R. X. Dentith. It's true, I am mighty and tall, and I tower over everyone, but... In my heart, I bring love and also nuclear fire from my stomach. Nuclear fire, that's what it's all about. I probably shouldn't say that given current <laughs> events in, uh, in Ukraine, but anyway, we're yeah, not that, here to talk that, about That reference might date very badly mm. within hours. Within hours, yes. Uh, do I, 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 I don't really follow it much because I don't care a lot and also don't really understand, but I understand the last 24 hours in Britain have been quite mad if my Twitter feed has been anything to go by to the extent that uh, comedy shows, current events comedy shows recording on that night were having having a bit of a tough time of it, given that things kept happening and getting more ridiculous with every happening. But It's unfortunately my access to the outside world is somewhat constrained at the moment due to VPN-related hiccups. So I'm vaguely aware that the era of Liz Truss might be coming to an end, and vaguely aware that by the time this podcast comes out, the era of Liz Truss might well have ended by, you know, 24 hours or so. Yes, I, I just have no idea what's going on at this stage. It's, it I don't think the Tories have no, any idea no. of what's going on at this stage. No. Last I heard, they were fought, they were being whipped to vote against banning fracking, despite the fact that it's in the Tory manifesto that they should be pro-getting rid of fracking. But they weren't willing to vote to ban fracking because Labour were the ones who put forward the vote to ban fracking, and they weren't going to allow Labour to act as if they were the government, despite the fact the Tories would have voted in favour of banning fracking if their party had put forward the proposal. Yes, there was a massive... uh, From what I gather, there was a lot of confusion 
around whether or not it was actually a whipped vote and a whole bunch of MPs who got up to say they were supporting the vote, despite the fact that they didn't actually agree with it, then were suddenly like, wait, hang on, we don't have to vote for it, what the hell? And there was there appears to have been actual like physical chaos at certain points. And the vote basically passed, but I think the chief whip resigned halfway through, and I, I really don't understand what was going on, uh, and, and probably can't, quite frankly. I don't believe a full understanding of what happened is actually possible. Well, Josh, you have to remember, the British are a savage people who have not yet actually embraced civilization. So it's not unusual that in their so-called parliamentary process, they're still trying to iron out the kinks. Eventually, they'll understand how democracy works and they'll join the rest of the civilised world. Eventually. Yes, well, now potential British savagery probably is a good a good segue, uh, an appropriate thing to say, given that the... Uh, the topic of this week's episode, which um, I, 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 I think we should just get into. Did you have anything else to say at the start? Lassitude? That'll do. Uh, let's chuck in a chime right about here. Yes, no, we are now. This This is an audience request, is it? It is, yes. So when we talked about doing our back to the conspiracy stuff... People are going, well, I'm not quite sure whether you've actually covered this in the past, because there's an, an assumption by new listeners who haven't spent all the time going back through seven years worth mm. of podcasts that Eight there are years. probably topics we've talked about in the past that we don't feel the need to talk about again. So when we talked about doing the Back to the Conspiracy episode, someone said, oh, actually, I'd love to hear more about the whole David Kelly thing, at which point I went, I don't think we've actually done David Kelly. Now, Josh, you did point out we have mentioned David mentioned, Kelly yes. in news episodes, although, as we'll also note, we didn't actually update people on what happened after we mentioned David Kelly in the news, which indicates that we probably should have done an update mm. to an update mm. at some point. But yes, we're going to talk about the death of David Kelly, who arguably is the person who revealed how dodgy the dodgy dossier was to the world, and then, depending on who you talk to, mysteriously died soon thereafter. Yes. I mean, so he did die. Or at he, least, did, he definitely died. Well, well except well. that some people say he didn't. Well, but we'll most get to people that, agree but... he did die. He did die approximately to the revelation of the dodgy dossier, and people do find that kind of thing ever so slightly suspicious. Yes. So, a bit of background. Um, David Kelly was Chief Inspector of the UN Special Commission um, involved in the search for WMDs in Iraq. So if you were around in the early 2000s, you'll remember the the, the post-9-11 war in Iraq. You'll remember it was... The, the, the excuse they finally settled on, I think, was that they were worried that Iraq had been producing weapons of mass destruction, which they wanted to, needed to get rid of, and so there's a big hunt for them. The name I remember at the time coming up all, always was Hans Blix, and I believe Kelly was, like, working directly under under Mr. Blix. Yeah, so I believe Kelly was the UK envoy, and Blix was, was kind the, of... Because it was a UN the, thing yeah, overall. Was, was yeah, the actual yeah. UN delegate, whatever the, whatever the formal name is, yeah. Mm. Um... So he was involved in in sort of defensey intelligency sort of stuff uh, prior to that. Um, 
but he was he 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 was an expert in was it biological weapons or the, the, the sort of thing that they were looking for in Iraq anyway. Well, he worked for an organisation called UMSCOM, which was a multinational disarmament body, or at least that's what it said on the tin. Most people think that actually UMSCOM was a Western intelligence tool that was used to enforce sanctions, encourage regime change, and provide the rationale for military intervention. So Kelly was working for an industry that was basically involved in putting sanctions on governments for inappropriate use of weaponry, of which Iraq, of course, in the first Gulf War had been pinged for its use of biological and chemical weapons that were considered by the West to be inappropriate for Iraq to have, despite the fact that the US and the UK had been providing Iraq with said weapons for quite some time. Yes. You're, you're allowed to own them, you're, but you can't display them or use them. That seems to be the West view on selling weapons of mass destruction. You can buy them from us, but it's illegal to buy them. We're, we're allowed to sell them to you. You're not allowed to buy them yes, from us. You're, you you're allowed to weapons, give us money. You can give yeah. us money. You just can't have the things that you're giving us money for. Yes. And we, will, and we will physically transport the goods you're not allowed to have to your country. But if you take receipt of them, you've broken the rules. Not us, mm. it's you. Now, Dr. Kelly doesn't he, was was no peacenik, was no hippie. He he uh, was fine with the original uh, Operation Desert Fox, Iraq War One, First Blood, in 1998, and he wasn't had had no specific problem with Operation Iraqi Freedom. What was the tagline for Rambo Two? Was there one? Oh, it was First Blood Part Two, wasn't it? That was the, yeah, that was yeah, the First really Blood weird, Part Two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the Iraq War Two. He didn't. He he did not at least publicly object to, and supposedly the the the, the, the famous dossier. Um, he wasn't he wasn't particularly opposed to the wording in that either. Um, apparently. Uh, there were there were suggestions of mobile mobile Iraqi bio labs producing these biological weapons, which I think most people thought was just a, a ludicrous idea that couldn't possibly exist. But he supposedly told Susan Watts, the science editor for one of BBC's programs, and she's going to come up again, that he was ninety percent certain they existed. Now, there's this business about his deport, deport being deported from Kuwait. The, unex he, the unexplained yeah. deportation. We don't we don't know why, but apparently he was handcuffed, searched, had his belongings confiscated, and then was deported from Kuwait for some reason. And this is the point in time where he starts talking off the record to off journalists record. that actually the dossier has been sexed up and the things that the UK and the US claim are happening, like mobile bioweapons labs, actually they either don't exist or the evidence for their existence has been severely trumped up by people like him in the media. Mm. So in 2003, uh, the BBC Today programme on Radio 4 um, basically it put out a report that said the British government had, had sexed up, was the quote, the intelligence that it had presented to the public to justify Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, the government was obviously furious at this, 
they wanted to know where this um, information had come from, and basically uh, it was it was Andrew Gilligan was the BBC journalist who gave this report, um, and he eventually I don't know I, I don't think it was Gilligan himself, but at any rate, Kelly was outed as the source, that he'd had an off-the-record conversation with Andrew Gilligan, and that's what Andrew Gilligan had based his report on, and so Kelly became, um, was, was, was identified, basically, as the person, as the individual who had made the government look very, very bad indeed. And not just identified by the government, Altered by the government mm. as the source. So essentially the government was going, look, Andrew Gilligan has been given bad information. This bad information has been given to him by Dr David Kelly. There were fewer whistleblower protections back in 2003. I actually don't think the UK has got great whistleblower protections even to this day. It's been debated in Parliament up until recently as to whether those protections should be expanded. She also pointed out that Aotearoa New Zealand has very bad whistleblower protections protections by law at the stage as well. So this is a problem across the globe. But he was outed, and this caused David Kelly quite a lot of mental distress at the time, because suddenly he was target number one of the government, blaming all of the problems with the public's reception to the dossier on the words of someone who was quite clearly acting up, had an agenda, didn't really know what he was talking about. I mean, Tony Blair was very disappointed with Dr David Kelly. He was very disappointed indeed. Mm. And for some reason, sounded a lot like David Attenborough. Yes. yes, here we are watching the UN weapons inspector telling lies to the public. No one knows why he's doing it, but I, Tony Blair, pretending to be David Attenborough, am of course above suspicion because I am Tony Blair and everybody loves me. Yes. Which was true at the time, but at it's the no time. longer true now. No longer true now. So, with, with all of this weighing very heavily on his mind, here's what we know. Uh, on the 17th of July, 2003... Sometime shortly after three o'clock in the afternoon, Dr. Kelly went for a walk. Um, apparently one of the last people, his neighbour was possibly the last person to see him alive he, as, as he walked out of the house. Um, he didn't return that night. There, obviously, people started to become very worried for him. There was a search, and the next morning, his body was found uh, lying against, sort of slumped against a tree on Harrowdown Hill, which was about a mile from his house, so certainly walking distance. Um, he, one of his wrists had been slit, and there were packets of um, a, a, a drug called Coproximol, which is a sort of a painkiller, I think. I'm not sure. Um... Uh, on 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 or about his person, so that's what we know. His death, on the face of it, appeared to be a suicide, but obviously we wouldn't be talking about it in a podcast about conspiracy theories if that was where the matter uh, ended. No, because scepticism about the suicide line occurred very quickly. So Tony Blair, very publicly, very soon after the discovery of Dr. Kelly's body, said, "Well." Obviously, suicide, very tragic matter, nothing to see here. And in part because 
David Kelly had revealed the dodginess of the dodgy dossier and the fact the government was being rather blasé about the sudden death of the person who revealed the dodginess of the dodgy dossier. They started to ask questions. They wanted to know, for example, why no fingerprints were found on the knife that was apparently used to slit his wrist. They wanted to know how he was able to maintain the amount of painkillers he had ingested, why his blood and stomach contained only a non-toxic dose of the drug, why he was not spotted by a police helicopter with thermal imaging cameras which flew over the wood where his body was later found, whether he even intended to kill himself because he had left no suicide note behind and had even contacted his daughter that morning to arrange a meeting with her the next day, and why the evidence he had died on his back was ignored despite the fact his corpse was found sitting upright. So it seemed, on the face of it, there were some serious questions that need to be answered to justify the claim that, oh, it was a suicide, despite the fact there are all these weird little inconsistencies. Yes, now where are these inconsistencies coming from? Were they things that people saw in the inquiry which we will get to shortly. Or are they... Like, for instance, the knife... The knife apparently was a knife that he owned. Like, it was it was his pocket knife that he always carried around with him. So it seems odd. You, you would expect there to be fingerprints on it, even if he... His fingerprints on it, even if it wasn't uh, an instrument well, of suicide. Well, except that but, people have this assumption about fingerprints on things, but forensic scientists who actually study fingerprinting point out that actually... Getting a full or even partial fingerprint on an object which is regularly used by a person is a lot more difficult than you would expect. So normal wear and tear and use means that fingerprints get smudged or worn away all the time, and fingerprints can actually just basically evaporate or disappear. You need the right amount of pressure, grease on the hand, etc., etc., for a lasting print to be left behind. And we're kind of getting into here the problems in forensic science and the public's understanding of forensic science. In the same respect, we think that DNA is conclusive of a person doing things. Most people assume that fingerprints are left everywhere and are surprised to find out that actually fingerprints are not left as often as people think mm. so there's a bunch of stuff like that but so Kelly has has kind of become a I want a to say a, a, I was going to say a canonical example uh, although it depends I don't, I don't know what the canon is in this case of a person being bumped off by the government um, yeah I mean so he's used as an example by both Alex Jones and David Icke I did a short literature search to see whether people in the academic literature mentioned David Kelly. So I have somewhere within the vicinity of 500 academic articles in a database that can be easily word searched. And it turns out that I was able to find three references outside of philosophy and three references inside of philosophy. And the philosophical references, are two of them are just by Juha Riker, and the third is Yuha writing with Lee Basham. So it's an interesting example by the sheer fact that not many people talk about it. It's not a common example in the literature at all, despite the fact that in the philosophical literature, the precursor to the invasion of Iraq in 2003 is used 
all the time. The dodgy mm. dossier is a major example that's used to explain why, you know, we should suspect conspiracies do happen at a governmental level. But David Kelly virtually never gets referenced at all. So, mm. yeah, it's a canonical example amongst a certain kind of conspiracy theorist. What's interesting, and admittedly I'm doing an English language search here, it's not a canonical example amongst conspiracy theory theorists, at least within the English-speaking world. So there have been a couple of works um, in, uh, suggesting conspiracy in the in the case of Dr. Kelly's death. Um, in 2007, Norman Baker, who was the Liberal Democrat MP for Lewes at the time, he published a book called The Strange Death of Dr. Kelly, which claims the death was a hit. Um, in 2018, there was a book by Miles Goslett, a former Mail on Sunday journalist, called An Inconvenient Death, How the Establishment Covered Up the David Kelly Affair. So there's been works on it in the past, giving the conspiracy theories, but... Um, and the theories range from uh, it, it was it was it was just a hit, uh, implying that he was sort of killed in the body staged where it was found, um, or it was not necessarily a, a straight hit, but he was interrogated and and was accidentally killed during some sort of forceful interrogation, and then the body was staged to look like suicide. So you mentioned before some people think he isn't actually dead. Yes, some people think that Janice Kelly, his wife, as well as his daughter, I can't remember if he's got more than one child or not, but basically the family colluded or conspired with the government and with Kelly himself to remove himself from the table. So essentially he didn't he didn't die, they simply staged his death, and that's why there are inconsistencies. So, sure, it was his knife, but there are no prints there because they had to clean the knife off before they put it in the hand of the person who was killed or whose corpse was used. So there are some people who do think that actually he isn't dead, although those theories seem to have in themselves died away as time has gone by. Those theories are more popular back in 2003 and 2007. They seem less plausible now because you now have to ask, what's Dr. David Kelly been doing in the intervening almost 20 years? Hmm. So those are the conspiracy theories. Sorry, the natural yeah. causes, yes. For some reason... Yeah. Some people think he just died of natural causes and then someone else staged it to look like a suicide because that's a that's a thing that happens. I mean, this I've been trying to reason through why you might think he died of natural causes, but you try to make it look like a suicide. And the only argument I can think of is that you might go, well, look, he was inadvertently killed by the government through stress. It wasn't a direct hit, but the government's treatment of Kelly after the revelation that he was briefing journalists about the dodginess of the dodgy dossier led to his deleterious mental health. He also had a heart condition uh, and led to you know, physiological damage, thus leading to his eventual death. That would be embarrassing for the government because they would inadvertently be responsible for his demise. So rather than allow the public to think the government stressed someone to death, make it look, and this is where I, I can't make sense of it, make it look instead as if the government embarrassed someone such that he committed suicide instead. 
So I cannot work this out. I can get halfway there, which is we want we don't want to be directly or indirectly responsible. So we want to make it seem as if he made the choice to die. But that still doesn't seem like a very good outcome. Well maybe 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 if it's maybe if it's not the government though. Maybe maybe it's actually enemies of the government who wanted to make them look bad by suggesting they'd hounded a man to suicide. Oh, when in okay. Fact said, yeah. You, you could run it that way, but no, it, it, it seems like an odd, an odd angle to take. At which, at which point, if you're going, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well make it look as if it was a hit. I mean, surely mm. it's even worse yeah. for the government if foreign powers intimate that someone who died by suicide was actually assassinated instead. So, yeah, there are some people who do think he died of natural causes and that was covered up. I just can't really make sense of that particular claim. But maybe maybe my mind is just too highly trained, Magic Fires. Well, it probably is. So, yes, so, so those are the conspiracy theories, but, of course, they are in opposition to the official theory. So the official version comes from the Hutton Inquiry. Now... This is apparently this is this is apparently something to begin with because there was an inquiry into his death, not a coroner's inquest, which I don't actually know the difference to be honest. But an inquest is what you would normally get in case of a suspicious death, I gather. Whereas an inquiry is what is is it less formal or is it not specifically medically oriented? What's the difference? So I I don't quite. Get the difference here, other than a coronal in- inquest is normally done at the local level, involving the judiciary and the police, and they're not always required. So they're quite often done when there's a suicide, just to make sure that all boxes are checked. But in this particular case, the government pushed for an inquiry instead to look into the broader matter of the government's role in the death of Dr. Kelly. And thus, it's a different way of investigating the issue. And many people thought it was a less efficient way because you're not necessarily doing what a coroner is doing, which is looking into how the death occurred. You're looking at the circumstances around the death, and maybe you don't look quite into the kind of the forensic detail you might expect from an actual coronal coronal inquest. Mm. So at any rate, so the Hutton Inquiry was named after the person carrying it out, Lord Hutton, formerly uh, Lord Chief Justin of Northern Ireland. Now, I, I don't actually know how long it was in the end, but it concluded, or included as part of its conclusion... I am satisfied that Dr. Kelly took his own life by cutting his left wrist and that his death was hastened by his taking coproximal tablets. I am further satisfied that there was no involvement by a third person in Dr. Kelly's death. So there's your, there's your official version right there. It was just suicide, no one else involved. Now, as we'll see, not, a, uh, not everyone agreed with um, Lord Hutton's findings. Especially since there was an embargo on the results. Yes, so this is this is where we come in. Well, this isn't this isn't where we come in. This is this is the one mention of uh, Dr. Kelly that we have made on this podcast previously. Uh, so back in episode one hundred and fifty-seven, 
this was so back, back when in our numbering scheme was a little bit got a little bit mixed up. Yeah. Um, we we had a news article where we mentioned the fact that Hutton had applied a seventy year embargo on the results of the inquest. Uh, sorry, not of the not inquest of the inquiry. Now, as it turns out, the report was published after all, and that's the, what we probably should have followed up on. Yes, I so there say. was outcry about a 70-year embargo where we were told what the conclusion was, nothing to see here, and people are going, well, that, that seems a bit convenient for the government, especially when we can't see the reasoning. So I believe interested members of the public, open bracket, people who thought there was something very suspicious about the death of David Kelly and the government was covering it up, close brackets, and the media, who may or may not believe that there was a cover-up, all protested saying, this embargo is, it's not appropriate, we need to know the reasoning behind this finding. And so the government actually relented and said, we'll publish the report nonetheless. And indeed, what happened afterwards was the Attorney General of the time, Dominic Grieve, was then urged to look into the report to make his own finding, and he reviewed the case and the discrepancies alleged by people, say, like Norman Baker and the various campaigns that claimed that the inquiry itself was inappropriate and there were still unanswered questions about the death of Dr. David Kelly, and he still fa- found in favour of the suicide hypothesis. Because I guess when when you look at it and how plausible the, the suicide versus something other than suicide aspect is... A lot of it comes down to how how you tell the story, I guess, of his life uh, immediately prior to his death. Because if you describe it in certain ways, it it, it does sound you know like like a hit could be more plausible. And yet, if you talk about it in other ways, it does actually sound like uh, uh, that, that, that tragically this was a man headed for suicide. In one case, it depends on how worried you think Kelly was that he might go to prison as a whistleblower. If you think that wasn't much of a concern of his, then it does start to look more like more like a hit, and the Hutton inquiry more like a cover-up. Yes, so, yeah, as you say, the way we tell the story affects the plausibility of the kind of story we want to tell. So if you tell the story about, look, here's this guy, he revealed the dodgy was dos- uh, the 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 dossier was dodgy, not the dodgy was dossier. That's a completely different totally different fish. Totally different. If you tell it that way, you can go well. It's actually kind of weird that a he dies soon after. B the prime minister immediately says, "Oh, it's a suicide. There's nothing to see here." C rather than having a coronal inquest, they hold an inquiry. That inquiry does not deliver its results for over a decade. So it's a long-standing question of. So when's the Hutton inquiry coming out? Oh, soon. Soon. It's the Duke Newcomb of inqui- inquiries. We're releasing it. In the next financial year. It'll and be done when it's done. And, mm. and it was done when it's done, but it was done in 2017, which is a long time after. I mean, it's, that's almost one and a half decades after the event. Suddenly you get the official explanation. I don't quite... Yeah, I, I was actually looking at that because the article that we linked to in our 2017 episode was from 2010. 
So oh. I, I'm not quite sure. The, given given that this was five years ago now, I don't quite know what why we were talking about it at that particular time. So possibly there'd been something else, or I don't know. But it, it was it was it was many years. Might not have been as many as fourteen. Yeah, years. and when I was saying a decade and a half, I was saying that can't be right. But I'm I'm assuming that when we talked about it in 2017, I'm wondering whether. Whether somehow, because 2017 was actually the point in time where they cremated the body, I think. I think 2017 is actually the cremation of Dr. Mm. David Kelly. So I think somehow the news story came up in 2017 and we reported on it well out of date. I think mm. we did something wrong there, Josh. I think, I think we might we have something messed up. Very, very I think wrong. in 2017 we probably. Got a and little bit confused. We could have doubled down. But it doesn't matter. This. We could have doubled down. If you hadn't pointed out the discrepancies in the dates here, we could have just, just run roughshod over this entire thing or edited around this to make sure that we didn't actually commit that error in any way, shape or form. Well, I mean, we could, we, you're the we could responsibly own up, to our, own up to our mistake and correct the record now, given that we have the opportunity of yeah, a full episode. But we've also now compounded the error in this episode. So we're admitting we made a mistake then, we've also made a mistake now. Mistakes, mm. Josh, have been made. Mistakes and have many been mistakes. made, and that's fine. Probably. Well, I mean, I it's know. not really, but what can we do about it what other than... What can we do about it now? Want to get Josh, you are editing for, this... This yep. episode, you could cover this up. I could. You could, I could. cover this I up. I could make that choice, and no and one could stop course, me. And now, of course, the audience is thinking, "Is this a bit?" Or no, no, this is, is incompetence. This is genu- <laughs> but, genuine. Is it conspiracy or is it cock up? I assure you, it's cock up. Cock but of course, all the way up. That's what we would say because when mm. we were working on the dodgy dossier back in the day, we were just working on the the intelligence we had at the time, I and mean, we definitely weren't covering things up. I mean, mistakes were made, but we never intended to fool people into thinking that we're that we're going to invade a country to stake its oil wealth. No. No, no, we we definitely weren't doing that. We were just making mistakes, just like we, we made were. mistakes in this episode. That's all we did. Now, anyway, back back to the inquiry. So, some of the people who who questioned the results of the inquiry um, were not actually forensic pathologists. So there were claims like his his wounds and the amount of blood loss he suffered wouldn't have been sufficient to cause his death. Um, as well as the the slitting of the wrist and the ingesting of many pills, he also had a heart condition. So part of part of the, the claim was that those those things combined. That yes, it, in another person possibly those things might not have been fatal, but to someone with a heart condition, that that amount of blood loss would have been fatal. Uh, things like that, and and some of the people making these claims weren't actually forensic pathologists. No, they were. They were. They, so they were medical. They were medical experts. So people point out the people who were opposing the Hutton inquiry findings were people like surgeons and clinical pharmacists. So they were raising legitimate issues of, well, you know, I don't think a cut of that type is deep enough for the kind of blood loss you require for someone to die. And pharmacists going, well, I don't think the dose of this drug is sufficient to have caused the kind of effect we're looking for. But as the Hutton Inquiry report indicated, and Dominic Greaves' findings about these things, it turns out that 
actually the presidents of the British Association of Forensic Medicine and the Forensic Science Society were saying, well, look, yes, it's true. As isolated cases, you might go, this is reason for doubt. But the thing about forensic pathology is you're looking at the whole system and the whole body. And it turns out for someone like David Kelly, who had a heart condition, had thinned arteries, had taken this amount of medication and cut his wrist in this particular way. In this particular case, that is sufficient for that to be a successful suicide. Mm. Now, people also point to the fact that he left no suicide note or anything, no, no indication that that was his plan, and also point out that he had planned to meet his daughter later. But all of that's consistent also with it being a more a more spur-of-the-moment decision. Now, Yeah, because people for some reason assume that if you're going to commit suicide, you always leave a note or you usually leave a note. And once again, that assumption is actually not borne out by the empirical research. Lots of people commit suicide leaving no notes whatsoever. Lots of people commit suicide having made plans for the rest of the day. There are a whole bunch of assumptions operating here as to how we think the world works that don't necessarily match how people who deal with these things on a day-by-day -day basis understand the world to work. Mm. Now, when we were talking about how the, the story you tell about him colours how, what you think may have actually happened, another story you can run is if, if you, if you emphasise his distress, his, his state of distress at the time, then suicide does perhaps start to look more plausible. Um, his family had talked about the the, the stress that was being um, had been caused to him by being outed by the government. How he was afraid his job could have been at stake, possibly even his freedom. Now, there's the the detail that apparently on the day of uh, on the day of his disappearance, he was um, seemed seemed relatively if not upbeat, then not downbeat earlier in the day, but then received a phone call later on, which apparently changed his demeanour quite a bit. Um, there's something to do with the fact, I think his his wife was recovering from a recent illness or injury, and so she was sort of in bed a lot of the time, so didn't know, just, just heard the phone call and didn't know what had taken place. But then apparently his mood soured quite drastically after that. One person suggested that maybe it was sort of a sympathetic person in, from the Ministry of Defence ringing to let him know that he was about to get thrown on the coals once again when he had gone on the record. If you, you, you recall, we mentioned um, Susan Watts, the BBC editor. She had made statements that he had said stuff to her. He had apparently publicly denied that he had said these things, and yet she was about to come out with proof that he had that, that he had actually said the things he had denied saying. And so there was a suggestion that maybe this phone call was saying, "Hey, just to let you know, Susan Watts has has, has got proof that you said that you did actually say those things." And that that maybe that was the last straw. We don't know. Um, but you can you can tell a story that makes suicide look less plausible, and you can tell a story that makes suicide look more plausible, basically. Yes, yeah, so as you're pointing out, there was, depending on the story you tell, a strong possibility that David Kelly would not just be outed as the source for the information about the dodgy do dossier, but would have lied to the government about him being the source 
of the contents of the dodgy dossier. So you would have been outed both as a whistleblower and a liar, and you might be able to get away with one in the public world, but being outed as a liar at the same time would be problematic for people trying to work out what to believe. Mm. So there's the, there's the case of the, the cremation, as you said. So 2017 definitely is the year when he his body was exhumed and cremated. Uh, this was according to the wish of his family. Uh, apparently his grave had become a bit of a magnet for conspiracy theorists, apparently. There was the uh, a group, the, the the Justice for Kelly campaign group, and they'd put placards and notes by his grave, presumably saying this man was killed by the government or something, and they'd held vigils there. This was referred to as desecration of his grave, which, depending on how you define this, I mean, desecration just means treating something not as sacred as you should. So I, I guess yeah, in that it's sense, one of those if, yeah, words which I has a lot of baggage. Seen, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, what fascinated me about this when I was reading up about it was this paragraph here from a Guardian article. The license for the exhumation was granted by the Chancellor of the Diocese of Oxford. A spokesman said, there is a presumption that Christian burial is permanent and that remains should not be portable. Therefore, a faculty for exhumation is only granted in exceptional circumstances. The body of Dr. David Kelly was exhumed at the request of his family, which seems to be if you put a body in the ground, you have to have very good reason if you want to move it because the church might go, no, sorry. Now, once it's down there, it stays down there. That's which where seems God like wants a, it to be. does seem like a, a strange restriction of no, you you can't just do what if you like with your family's remains. You have to get the permission of the church if you want to, you know, change graves. Which on one level seems slightly officious, and on another level we can kind of understand, oh, people would be moving graves all the time. Case, mm. This grave is a terrible view. I need to move to you know, a more south-facing view. Maybe nearer the cliff. Mm. So yes, that was that's, that's where things stand now, I think. Now, on the balance of evidence, it does seem to look like Dr. Kelly's death was indeed a suicide. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's no conspiracy here. And this this reminds me a lot of the more recent discussions around the death of Jeffrey Epstein, because people would sort of say that, would speak as though there were only two possibilities, either he killed himself or he was murdered. But there are positions in between. It could be that, you know, a death like that could be suicide, it could be straight murder, a third person comes in and and commits a murder and then stages it to look like a suicide, but then it can be that, that sort of a sort of murder where you don't actually kill someone, but you either drive them to suicide by making their life so horrible, or even possibly drop hints and and sort of encourage that maybe take someone that may be taking the honourable way out would be preferable to what's going to come in the future. Ah, mon ami, if I could interrupt ever so slightly. You are talking here about the case of Nemesis, the famous final case of Hercule Poirot, where Poirot tracks down a murderer who does not directly murder people, but encourages people to commit the suicide. As the thing about Nemesis, it being the last Hercule Poirot story, Poirot kills the murderer to stop further murders from being committed. Well, we'd better get him on the case then, I think. Oh, no, no, Paul is dead. I am speaking to oh. you from beyond the grave. 
Oh, nice. I am now a vampire, don't you know? Ah, 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 ah. Uh, he sucks the blood out of his victims. The little grey cells, they are filled with blood. Excellent. But yes, so I mean, so as with Epstein, so so with Kelly, we don't we don't have to say it was. We have more options than he simply committed suicide or he was killed by a government hitman. The government could be, you, you could run a line that the government could be responsible for his death and his death happening at his own hand, if you see what I mean. Yeah, indeed. I mean, there are versions of this where that phone call he got from the Ministry of Defence to someone saying, well, look, things are going to get pretty bad for you, David. But, you know, if you were to take the easy way out. I mean, we can we can ensure that your name doesn't get dragged through the mud any further. Your family's not going to be affected by things. We're not we're not saying that you should. I'm just saying that, you know, you could make the problem disappear, David. You could make it disappear. Mm. And yes, you can imagine us and that is something you might end up going, hmm rather have an inquest looking at the phone calls that occurred that day let's have a long-ranging inquiry that takes around about five years to to fulfill and then put an embargo upon the results so that no one ever finds out about what was happening with phone calls from the ministry of defense or at least by the time the results do come out no one's going to be able to double check exactly who he was talking to and for what reason mm. I, I think to, to, to finish things off this did remind me of a couple of other um, uh, suspicious suicides that I've been hearing about recently. I keep banging on about the Behind the Bastards episode because I've been going through its back catalogue, basically, and it's a very interesting podcast. The recent episodes are about MK Ultra, and as part of that, it talks about the death of Frank Olsen, who was a man who basically apparently was involved in MKUltra and objected strongly to the way they were they were treating people. And then was at a meeting... If you know anything about MKUltra, eventually it kind of degenerates into CIA people just dosing everyone with acid, anyone who happened to be near them, to kind of just see what would happen. Olsen and a bunch of other people were at a meeting where everyone was dosed with acid. His demeanour changed quite markedly over the next couple of days, and then then a short while later he died from uh, falling out of the room of a hotel that he was staying in. That one looks a hell of a lot more dodgy, uh, you know, in, in comparison with this sort of thing. There was someone who really seemed to have no motive for suicide whatsoever, is then put in a stressful situation, and then was apparently th- there was another agent sort of present in the hotel room or something as well, something like that. You have a much harder time telling a story of it of it being um, not involving uh, the government. The other one that just occurred to me now is um, there was also, I've also uh, been reading about the death of Gary Webb. Gary Webb was uh, a journalist. yes, yes, mm. yes, the good old Gary Webb story. Gary Webb was a journalist who um, basically broke the Iran-Contra affair, essentially. He, he wrote the story called Dark Alliance and... Um, In three parts. Yep, which basically blew the lid off, off Iran-Contra. Um, now he got a hell of a lot of grief for this, uh, in part because he didn't he didn't work for a major newspaper, um, and so the the news so the big the big newspapers the big American newspapers at the time were actually more, more than anything were angry at him for having scooped them. 
and so they devoted a hell of a lot of it, of of, of re time and resource to um, basically destroying him and and his reporting. And unfortunately, because he wasn't working with the major newspaper and possibly didn't have the level of of editorial insight that he might have at a major one, his his uh, piece, while broadly you know, right, was well quite true, did have some sort of rel relatively basic errors of fact, which they sort of pounced on and tried to discredit him completely. Now, he was found dead in his home in 2004 with two gunshot wounds to the head. And some people immediately were like, how do you, how do you shoot, yourself, shoot yourself twice in the head? Um, but apparently the coroner's like, well, you know, that, that can happen if the first shot it's possible to shoot yourself non-fatally if you if you get the angle wrong, and then either because you know you've just shot yourself in the head, and and you're determined to to finish the job, you fire again, or you just jerk and fire again, or you know who knows what. It, it isn't actually as um as unlikely yeah, as it sounds. It's one of those things that sounds impossible, and then you go, actually, it is physically possible after all. Hmm. Um, and in this particular case, I mean, he's, this guy, had his life had largely been ruined. He had been dragged through the mud um, by by powerful organisations. I mean, the, the the it's weird that the major newspapers were essentially defending the CIA in this case against this one dude. But his wife apparently has said that she she doesn't believe it could have been anything but suicide. Like, she knew how incredibly depressed he had been and how this had been weighing on him. But the thing that gets me is, there's a movie about uh, Gary Webb and his death. I think he's played by Jeremy Renner, I think. And the movie t talks about um, talks about him and then finishes with... Uh, it's called Kill the Messenger. That's right, Kill the Messenger. And he is played by, yes, Jeremy Renner. Um, so there's an epilogue to the film that says, in 2004, he was found dead in his apartment, shot twice in the head. His death was ruled a suicide, which which triggered me a little bit because that phrase, their death was ruled a suicide, is almost a cliche of conspiracy theories. Because yeah, there's, there's an ellipsis at the end, which is his death was ruled a suicide, but we all know it wasn't. Mm. The fact that they say it was ruled, not his death was a suicide, simply the powers that be say his death was a suicide. And that uh, that, that shows up all the time. The um, the Clinton body count is a great one for that. They have, which they, they you know list all these people tangentially connected to the Clintons or affairs involving the Clintons. And any time there's a suicide, it's always their death was ruled a suicide, which is a true fact. It's it's definitely true, and but it's a fact stated in such a way as to imply basically the opposite of what they're saying, and so indeed Dr. Kelly's death was ruled a suicide by the Hutton inquiry and also by um, the Attorney General after that. Um, but as we as as we say, it doesn't mean there isn't conspiracy theory and uh, conspiracies involved, but. To say his death was ruled a suicide, while waggling your eyebrows and going dot 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 afterwards, I think is disingenuous. Yes, it is one of those, as you say, it's one of those things where there is there's this implication at the end, and sometimes you might go with, say, the Gary Webb story. You'll go, 
I mean, there might be something to it. I mean, it is possible to shoot yourself in the head twice, but it's not particularly likely. It's one of those things that's in the realm of possibility, but it's not a highly likely situation. And given what he is exposed, you might go, well, there are forces within the security apparatus of the American state that may have wanted him to disappear. So you can kind of see why people do the their death was ruled a suicide gambit, because they're going, it's possible it wasn't. Yeah. But it is also overused to a mm. very large extent, and the Clinton body count's a great example of that. Mm. I mean, it's the same respect we're seeing now with COVID-19 conspiracy theories, where people go, oh, yeah, and this person, you know, they had their vaccination and then they died. And then you go, so how long was it between the vaccination and death? Oh, I mean, one and a half years. Well, it's definitely the, vac- the vaccination that killed them, not the heavy drinking and smoking they engaged in. No, it's a vaccination-related death. Okay, so, yes, I mean, it's true. Soon it is going to be almost every death is going to be associated with the vaccination because a lot of people have been vaccinated, and a lot of... And I will state, for the record, 100% of people who have been vaccinated will die eventually. So there's going to be a 100% death rate associated with vaccinated people in the next 100 years. Which is chilling when you think about it. it but is. no, I, I, I actually almost have a bit of a problem with this idea that there is that, that sort of suspicion, oh, the government might want to get rid of these people so it's, um, it's, it's plausible that they'd bump them off because... I can understand the government or the, the whatever powers that be having a motive to dispose of someone who's a, who, who's who where there's a danger of them making the government look bad or something. But after the damage has already been done, I don't really see what would be achieved. Gary Webb's story had been published. Kelly's, you know, people knew that Kelly's um, had 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 already blabbed, and it was known he'd been blabbed. And there doesn't seem to be a lot that could have been gained by silencing him after the fact, unless you think they're petty enough that they just, they're just just indulging in revenge. Or you think there's more that could come out. So, for example, so the argument you're putting forward is the kind of argument that David Aronovich runs around Norman Baker's claims about the death of David Kelly in Aronovich's books, Voodoo History. And he argues that, look, Kelly had already revealed everything he knew. He'd already embarrassed the government. As you say, there's no point killing someone when they've already done the damage. But people like Baker, and I think to a lesser extent Goslett, go, yeah, but he had more information. Mm. I mean, when you actually look at the things that David Kelly was involved in, it's actually in the notes, it's pointed out that he'd actually been involved in some fairly dodgy cover-ups during his professional career. So it was really only after the deportation from Kuwait where he decided that in this particular case, he wasn't going to adhere to the official line. He was going to reveal to journalists that actually this particular sanction regime that's been put against Iraq due to the development of weapons of mass destruction is based on a tissue of lies. But he'd been involved in other dodgy cover-ups or cover-up adjacent activities in, in the past. And so you might be concerned, if you're, say, a member of MI5 or a member of the cabinet, that Kelly's revealed this thing we've done which is wrong, 
there's some valence to the fact he yes, could I suppose reveal if he's, other stuff if he's as well. established a precedent, pre- precedent as a leaker, then what else is he going to leak? Yes, I don't know. Anyway, we're, we're sort of into speculation now, which probably means we've said all everything constructive that we need to say. Oh, yes, yes, sorry, I, just, I've, I found Kelly. a bit. So, so Kelly worked at Port and Downs, and he had been involved in Operation Dark Harvest. Where do they? Where do people get these names from? Oh, we're going to call our operation Operation Dark Harvest, and that was Britain's tacit cooperation with the apartheid regime in South Africa in their biological weapons pro- pro- program. Uh, he'd been at least tangentially involved in biological weapon material export to Baghdad. There were things that he had been mm. involved in he could have leaked. Yeah. So, yes, I, I don't know. We don't... We... Uh, well, as, as with basically everything we get to in the end, we'll never really know 100% for sure. Um, and if we've reached that point, I guess we've reached the point of the end of this episode. So We have. Now, Josh, what's coming up in the bonus episode this week? I have not a goddamn clue. We'll come up with something, I'm sure. Yeah, because be really as mentioned at the top of the episode, due to VPN-related woes, I've basically been exiled from the rest of the... In- internet so my usual harvesting of stories has basically been curtailed by a lack of internet access seems the only sites i can routinely access are computer gaming sites and there's not much conspiratorial going on there at all although there's a lot of chatter about what may or may not have happened with the voice acting for bayonetta Bayonetta 3. 3 yes Yes, so I don't, we'll come up with something. I'm sure it'll be really interesting, and I'm sure you really, really want to hear it. And if you do, then you'll need to be one of our patrons. Uh, you can become one by going to patreon.com and searching for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and sign yourself up. Uh, but but if that if that if if that wasn't enough to entice you, this idea that we're probably just going to make some shit up off the top of our heads to fill fill twenty minutes or so, if that's not enough for you, well, no pleasing everybody, I guess. You you're, you're one of our listeners, and that's just fine um so indeed thank you for listening to the end of this very episode and now is the end of this very episode which i will signal in the traditional manner by saying goodbye goodbye lassitude the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy stars josh addison and myself associate professor mrx denton our show's conspiracy producers are tom and philip plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, they're coming to get you, Barbara.